Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and exceedingly articulate chap, Jordan Thomas, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, and the good old USA at www.getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. Also, on a side note, Comic Scene have launched a new Kickstarter for their 2021 annual, which features new side stories from the likes of Captain Cosmic by Andy Clift, Dick Turpin by Steve Tanner, Geek Girl by Sam Johnson, and Project Hoax by myself and Dan Butcher. With 10 days to go, the campaign is fully funded, but if you'd like to find out more, be sure to search for Comic Scene as one word on Kickstarter, or by simply clicking the Kickstarter link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Jordan Thomas. How's it going? Hey, Sam. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, all right, all right. Just as we were discussing uh, before we started, I just finished my uh, 14 days of self-isolation for having been in France on a family holiday. Um, So I'm glad I've uh, I've done my time and now I'm I'm set free. So all, all good. Ah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like a nice, uh, relaxing family holiday followed by uh, quarantining. Yeah, exactly. Where you have to have a toddler yeah, just uh, the normal inside world a house for for fourteen days. Uh, not ideal, <laughs> but um, you know it's the, it's the way it goes. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's a it's a real pleasure uh, to have you on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, just starting off so that everybody can uh, get a gauge of who you are. What do you do in the world of comics? Oh, well, I'm a writer, so um, I have to constantly deal with people seeing the art that I share and saying like, oh, did you draw that? And then being really disappointed when I tell them that I didn't. Um, but yeah, I've done a series <laughs> called Frank at Home on the Farm, which was a four-issue miniseries, which I finished up on Kickstarter kind of in the springtime, which has now been picked up by Scout Comics. So that's going to be in the in actual stores come November 18th. And then I just got done with a, a big project called Quarantine, which had loads of different artists all doing a individual page. Very big, you should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a crazy one. So I've, I've literally just got back to Spain, where I live most of the time, uh, after having done a double fulfillment, which um, for anyone doing Kickstarters out there, I really don't recommend doing dual fulfillments. No. No, not at all, man. It's uh, it's brutal. Um, and doing a double, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. Um, and then uh, you've actually got Kickstarter going on at the moment as well, don't you? Yeah, I literally launched Mugshots yesterday. Um, so we've been going, it'll be 24 hours in about three hours time. But uh, yeah, we've already funded. So that's really exciting. That's the first time I've managed to fund one in any in under 24 hours. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's like, um, I love stuff like Brubaker and Phillips Criminal and series like that. So it's kind of my British version of one of those comics with an amazing artist who's one of my friends from school, actually, called Chris Matthews. 
That's awesome, man. And if people just search for mugshots in Kickstarter, that'll come up, I'm sure, will it? Yeah, yeah, that should work, or else they're going to get some kind of weird collection of um, cups and <laughs> coffee-related stuff. <laughs> Sometimes I realise after I've given stuff names, <laughs> Quite like quarantine, like that was not popping up anywhere near the top of any searches. Uh, so, yeah, mugshots should oh, hopefully no, work, but if not, uh, yeah, Jordan underscore J underscore Thomas on Twitter, and that will get you there pretty quickly. Fantastic. And of course, all of those links are in the show notes, folks. So click through, check out Jordan's work, follow him on social media, uh, and uh, let's uh, let's get started. So uh, without um, with all of that aside, sorry, um, I've got some bad news for you, and that is um, that as well as there obviously being, being a pandemic going on at the moment, um, it's turned into n- nuclear warfare. Um, and uh, one of the places that's um, mostly affected is Spain, unfortunately. Uh, so my uh, question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Uh, I guess it had to happen eventually. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's put a different spin on it. It was inevitable, wasn't it? <laughs> when there's a semi-kind of end-world events happening currently anyway. <laughs> it's all a bit, uh, yeah, a double whammy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, nuclear warfare can be a pretty grim one. I'm thinking if, uh, if everything's kind of ruined all the food supply and things. So I don't really know how keen I'd be on carrying on. I'd probably maybe go around, make sure that like my absolute worst enemies have either been taken out by it or are suffering some kind of awful side effects from, uh, from the nuclear warfare and then maybe put pay to any of those that have kind of come out unscathed or just stand from a distance and mock the ones that have been awfully deformed and then probably just go home and try and sit (laughs) it out for a bit. (laughs) And just chill out um, and uh, wait, wait until kind of the internet crashes, I guess. Yeah, well, kind of work my way through my supply of like baked beans and Stuff like that. I guess it would start off, maybe you'd have a bit of bread left, so I could be having beans on toast at the beginning. Then that would probably fade away as uh, as I refuse <laughs> to eat the especially mouldy bread um, to just a bowl of beans. And then once all of the beans have run out, I think that's probably going to be the time for some really tough choices. Uh, definitely. Um, and, once, and once you have finished that, uh, that bowl of beans, uh, you start reminiscing over uh, over comics um, and the first question that you ask yourself is as you of course of course it's the it's, it's the last thing that you do to uh before before your death <laughs> is, uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying yeah of course that's how i knew i'd always go <laughs> uh, yeah so the first comic so the first comic i really but, uh, remember yeah the first question you ask yourself is what's the first comic you remember enjoying and being excited for it and this was the kind of comic that started me having a pool list when i would have been about 11 or 12 right. years old maybe um this was 1602 by neil gaiman and andy cubert Great, and uh, for to, to give us a bit of a flavour, um, what um, what what's that about? 
so, so it's basically, it takes all of the Marvel heroes, the people we kind of know, Daredevil, Spider-Man, um, Doctor Strange, the X-Men, but it puts them in the year 1602, as per the title. Um, and yeah, it kind of awesome. reimagines them as existing in that society. Like, I remember one of the really cool parts of it is that Magneto is the head of the Inquisition who would have been going around trying to find like uh, people that they considered heathens or heretics or witches even. Uh, and he's going around to to round up these people, but he's using it as like a front to rescue mutants, even though people wouldn't know exactly what mutants were at the time. Uh, and I just remember it had beautiful art as well and seeing like all the redesigns of the characters. Like Doctor Strange is this really cool kind of... Um, 17th century style magician and daredevil is like a blind beggar singing in the streets and he sings songs about like the fantastic four who were some mysterious team of adventurers who vanished like several years ago and the idea i think i really liked that it, it was creating its own world from scratch because when you're first getting into comics although it can be cool to just grab like an issue 170 of avengers or something there's like so much backstory that they can be a bit intimidating so I think this was exciting for me because it was something that was starting now that I could kind of get in on the ground floor of definitely and that, that's so attractive uh to when uh, you've got such an intimidating backlog of <laughs> of uh issues to catch up on um but uh, yeah having kind of a encapsulated story like that is is awesome and were you buying this was it a monthly yeah this was a monthly I probably I think it's a eight issue mini series um yeah, yeah so that was quite exciting as well i guess just the kind of ritual involved with get uh going down to the local comic shop which was this absolutely tiny kind of hole in the wall almost like it was kind of built into the side mm-hmm. of the rock as opposed to its own kind of shop i remember <laughs> it was proper um just a tiny little place and yeah i guess that kind of got me started on the the ultimate line was was fairly new at the time as well so i added that and so yeah i kind of make my little uh journey every week to go and grab the latest 1602 and maybe a couple of the the ultimate line comics at the time that's awesome man and so from that point onward um did you immediately start creating your own stories or was there a period where you're kind of a reader for a fair while and then decided to go for it or I'd always been big into creative writing ever since I was really little. Like I remember having this really basic word processor that my parents got me when I would have been about like seven or eight years old. It could only show about two sentences at a time. Right. So you can imagine going back and trying to edit. Wow. When you got, luckily, I'd get bored after about four paragraphs oh, yeah. of any new story or whatever anyway. But uh, yeah, I guess I'd done that. And then I, cause I studied script writing for film and television at university in Bournemouth. And so Great. I guess, yeah, I, it's weird. Like obviously I've been reading comics and been really into them, but I think be- because of that kind of distance between needing this amazing artist or somebody with you, it, it, I don't know why it never really clicked for me until a bit later on that it was something that's actually probably one of the easier in the kind of, different types of media you can get involved in as a writer to 
actually get off the ground without having like a big company or something behind you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so what was it that actually kind of inspired you to, to go for it with comics? Um, well, one of my friends uh, was writing comics um, with another one of our friends doing the art for it um, as Matt Hardy and Edward Bentley. And so I'd actually, I used to hang out with them sometimes in that comic shop because at the back they had like a games room and we used to play this Star Wars collectible card game and then Hero Clicks. You can imagine we were incredibly popular people uh, at the time. <laughs> and um, Of course. Uh, yeah, so that's that was kind of, I guess I saw someone that I knew doing it and how it worked and that that really it was something that, yeah, you just had to to find someone who was interested in the story you had or had a story they wanted to work on who could draw a bit. And that was kind of pretty much it. You were, you were off and away. Awesome. And what was your first, first uh, comic story that you wrote? Um, so the first thing I really started, well, I actually think no i just remembered now thinking about it i did actually work with a really talented artist friend of mine back when i was around 20 21 doing a script for an idea that they'd had that just never went anywhere in the Mm. end for various reasons Uh, i think because neither of us really knew the mechanics of doing anything with it like we had kind of a script and he could draw it but we wouldn't really know where to go from there at that point um but the first thing that I kind of wrote with the real intention to get it made actually hasn't been made yet. It was kind of a Goonies, Steve. It was it was basically Stranger Things a few years before Stranger Things came out. So now if I do anything with it, people would just be like, oh, no, you're, you're, uh, I see you've been expi- inspired by Stranger Things from really mm. oh, like, just like, ripping yeah. off <laughs> the same original source material of 80s kids' movies and Stephen King. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was like kind of kids fighting a monster uh, type of deal. But then the first stuff that I had published was a couple of short stories in the Cadavers World Gone to Hell anthology from Mad Robot Comics, which came out on Kickstarter a few years ago. Awesome, man. And, and that's on your um, your Kickstarter profile, is it? Um, no, I, didn't, I didn't do the Kickstarter that. for that one. I was a, a guest writer. Ah, on that right. one. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's really available ah, to, to get unless you, you see their table at a convention currently. Or something like that. Okay, yeah, let's see. Um, but no, yeah, it's it's always interesting to kind of see people's uh, origin stories with all of this, um, and uh, what leads you to kind of do the the things that you do to get them made. Um, so of course you went down the Kickstarter route. Um, but how did the um the the publication relationship with Scout Comics come about? Um, yeah, that was a, an unusual one, I guess. Well, I, I guess, uh, for me being published is unusual in general, so <laughs> they're all going to be slightly unusual, but that actually <laughs> came about off the, the back of Kickstarter. Like I was doing the final campaign for Frank at home on the farm. And just after I'd sent out all the digital copies, I didn't realize, but one of the people who'd 
who'd backed buying like the whole series uh, was one of the top people over at Scout. And he got in touch with me just directly um, through message on Kickstarter saying that he'd really enjoyed the series and shown it to some of the other people there and they'd be interested in taking it into the direct market if that was something that I'd be keen on, um, which was obviously great, like amazing to have someone from uh, from a company like that come and speak to you. But in my head, I'd had like this plan of, okay, I'm going to do the four issues and then I'll do a collection. And then once I have the collection, I'll approach some publishers and suddenly it was like, oh, okay, I need to find out what's going on here and make a decision. But um, yeah, the more I've kind of found out about Scout, the more I've been really happy with them as a publisher choice. I think they're a really cool company that seem to be like getting bigger every month. Like they've had a few titles out recently, Grit and um, Yasmin and um, It Eats What Feeds It, which all seem to just be you know, you just see on Twitter, this stuff's like popping up a lot. Like you, you get the impression that mm. people are taking notice of their books currently. That's awesome, man. And uh, long may it continue. Um, and uh, hopefully you can build on that relationship and potentially have more more things published through them and, and whatnot. Yeah, no, I hope so. I think that that's one of the benefits, I guess, once you've kind of got your foot in the door. I think it's like with lots of these things, it's like people pay more attention to you once you've been published and getting that that first bit of interest is the hardest thing. And then from there, yeah, they, they'll probably want to take mm-hmm. a look at everything new that I do and other companies, I guess, are probably more open to me sending them things. I guess it's kind of like a chicken or egg scenario where it's like they're like, oh, you know, send us your stuff if mm-hmm. you've been published before. But you're like, oh, if no one's taking on stuff that hasn't by people that haven't been published, it can be a little bit hard to kind of get anything looked at so yeah i'm very grateful that um they reached out to me that's awesome man um and uh now moving back to uh your empty bowl of of baked beans um and uh thinking about comics uh you move on to the question of what's the funniest comic that you've read um the funniest comic that i've um this was quite a tough question actually thinking I guess like the type of stuff I'm attracted to isn't normally the kind of humor I mean obviously I like stuff that has humor in it but in terms of like a flat out like makes me laugh a lot comic the only thing that really came to mind was Chew by John Lehman and Rob Gilroy mm. um, which I just think is one of the most creative and it's like every scene has something kind of funny in the background. You can see that they spend a lot of time really working on just packing as much like fun into every issue as possible. Um, so yeah, I always yeah I always find if I'm reading that on the train, like that's the kind of one you can end up laughing out loud in the train carriage too. Generally, any time um, the big mechanical uh, pollo, the chicken, turns up. It's always pretty good, and yeah, no, I think I think that's probably the funniest comic that I've ever read regularly. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's quite a premise, and for for people that haven't come across it just yet, um, what's the what, what's the basic premise with Chew? Um, so it's based off of bird flu having meant that chicken has been like outlawed, 
So it's a bit like if you imagine the prohibition era America where there's like speakeasies for alcohol, but for chicken. So they create this government agency, which are basically in charge of kind of raiding all of these secret chicken restaurants and going after anyone still breeding chickens and but stuff like that. But they all the agents, most of the agents have these kind of strange powers, like the main guy, Chu, I guess it, it's uh, it's called Chu because his power is that he can kind of tell the history of anything he eats, but it even works with people. So if he finds a dead body at a murder scene, he can kind of nibble on a bit of their toe or something and he'll see everything that happened to them in their life so that he can solve the murder. And then as it goes on, the different powers that people have get kind of more and more out there and bizarre. I think there's one character who can sculpt weapons out of chocolate um there's people that can write (laughs) so descriptively that it makes you taste the food that they've had which is great when they're writing about really tasty stuff but if they decide to kind of turn it on you and write about something really disgusting that like makes people be sick in into the newspaper and stuff like that Yeah, it's awesome, man. And uh, yeah, for anybody that hasn't checked it out, definitely check that it out. It's uh, it's rather hilarious. Uh, now, uh, changing emotions, um, you you move on to ask yourself, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Saddest comic I've ever read. Um, had a couple of options, and I I don't know if I was always this emotional, but definitely the last like five or six years, I found myself <laughs> becoming more and more able to just cry at things. Um, like don't ever watch Armageddon with me. Armageddon just will break me down. Um, <laughs> Amazing. But I think um, the saddest. It was. It's a bit of a weird one because it's. It feels like a, a bit of a kind of crappy series. But Ultimate Fallout number one, which is the the issues kind of directly after Peter Parker Spider Man in the Ultimate Universe has been killed. Uh, sorry, massive spoilers for anyone who hasn't read that like fifteen-year-old comic. Um, and but even like the bit where he dies is really sad because he's like lying there on the grass, and Aunt May and Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy are all there, and he's like, oh, "I I saved you," and then he kind of closes his eyes and dies. But then in Ultimate Fallout, you've got the funeral, and there's a bit in it where. Aunt May's been driven to the funeral by Tony Stark and they get to this cathedral and it's just rammed with people who've all come out to pay their respects to Peter Parker for all the times he saved them. And Aunt May's not sure if she can handle it. She's not going to go. But then Tony Stark convinces her to get out of the car. And as she's walking in, there's a little girl in the crowd and you only see one side of her face at first. And she's like, oh, were you you Spider-Man's mummy? And she's like, no, no, I, I wasn't his mummy, I'm his aunt. She's like, oh, yeah, but did you, you know, tuck him in at night and make him breakfast? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I did that. And she's like, ah, oh, so basically you were his mummy. And then you see that, like, half of her face is all burnt. And she's like, I wanted to say thank you because Spider-Man saved me from the fire. And then they, like, she's like, Aunt May starts crying and hugs the little girl. And it's, yeah, even talking about it now, I feel emotional. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> definitely that uh, definitely pulls on the heartstrings doesn't it um it's it's amazing when a story does you know uh emit emotions for you um it's uh it's quite a feeling i think 
Yeah, and I think um, especially with something like Ultimate Spider-Man, which had the one voice of um, Brian Michael Bendis doing it the whole way through, you get that real connection with the character. Like it really feels like a consistent person that you've been following the whole time because you haven't got like um, Garth Ennis taking over for a couple of issues and suddenly making him into a dick or (laughs) anything like that. Uh, and I, I guess that because the other thing, that, the other one that jumped to mind when I was trying to think of the saddest comic I've ever read is the final issue of Why the Last Man. I don't know if you've read that series. Right. And uh, yeah, there's a part in that. No, not in full, no. Where, okay, well, again, spoilers, but towards the end, he's had like a pet yeah, don't all worry. the way through. And you can kind of guess if it's sad <laughs> but like because it does a lot of that flash forwarding into the future yeah. so you just see all the characters what happens to them and obviously a lot of them dying and yeah that pretty yeah. much that whole issue after spending 60 issues with this cast of characters all being written and drawn by the same people that's a real uh hits hard as well yeah man um yeah it's incredible that you can feel uh connections to characters and you know if they are killed off um and particularly if it's one that you like <laughs> then it can be very very emotional um and uh no yeah i mean it it just shows you're human as well jordan so it's all good. <laughs> that's good because a few people have raised doubts in previous relationships but uh yeah, that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> totally man uh now uh changing gears once again uh you ask yourself what's the scariest comic that you've read yeah this was probably this one and the what was the funniest were the most difficult in that like obviously i've written a lot of horror myself with frank at home on the farm i did uh i did joke with clark the artist for frank at home on the farm about trying to make every answer Frank at home on the farm and seeing at what point you just kind of cut me off and told me to start taking it seriously. Um, But I think for scariest, the thing I eventually kind of settled on was a particular moment from Witches by Scott Snyder and Jock, which has like really atmospheric art. But so it's kind of, it's about these strange type of witches and, um, like a family kind of dealing with their with them being around and in it people can like pledge you to the witch which then means you're in trouble basically and they always say pledged is pledged which is always like Mm. basically something bad is really about to happen when you just hear these awful things that like live in trees and stuff being like pledged is pledged basically means that's it you're not getting out of this once you're pledged you you're done for and just, yeah, that idea of pledged is pledged just kind of sends a bit of a shiver down my spine. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Uh, what would be the word? It's not really imagery, but it's wordery, I guess, like just a, a <laughs> phrase that kind of elicits a writer, like, an emotion. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I'm really good with the words. Um <laughs> Uh, no yeah it's 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 so good like when you do have something like that um that uh that just gives you an instant feeling of uh of whatever it is happiness or or dread (laughs) yeah definitely i think it's just one of those phrases that when i hear it it takes me right back to that moment in the comic i think it's like a, a kid's getting like dragged into the knot of a tree a bit i don't know if you remember the old um stephen king it 
TV miniseries, but there's a bit where one of the kids gets kind of dragged into a pipe and kind of their body like folds over on themselves. And it's a bit like that, but with a tree, which is pretty Ooh. grim. I think the other thing, the other one of my favourite series of all time would be Hellblazer, and that's a bit more of a. Mm-hmm. There's loads of scary parts of that, like throughout. Um, but it was hard to kind of settle on a specific one. Like I remember there was a Family Man storyline. It was called where there was this kind of murderer, which was quite grim, and also what the, there's an image from Hellblazer that always sticks with me as being quite terrifying in that. I don't know if you know the backstory of John Constantine, but it's that he, his father didn't want him to be born and actually tried to give his mother a um, kind of a backstreet abortion with a clothes hanger, which is pretty grim in itself. But when the father dies, he goes to hell and there's an issue where Constantine finds him and he's basically kind of got these clothes hangers kind of growing out of him and he's kind of trapped and awkward, like surrounded by all these clothes hangers. And that's like another image that definitely has stuck with me after having read that about a decade ago. Oh man. Yeah, no, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> Those type of things definitely don't leave you. And particularly, I guess with comics, because, um, because you're able to kind of stay on an image for such a long time, like in something uh, like film, for instance, it might just be a split second that you'll see that, but with a comic, you can actually stay on the image. Yeah. I guess it's like in your control. You can, if something, if you get those moments where you're like, Oh God, am I really seeing that? You tend to kind of stop and have the comic open in front of you for longer as you kind of stare at the image, trying to make sense of it or digest it or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. As I say, I think that's one of the, the, the strong points about the medium of comics for storytelling, particularly in, in, in that aspect, I guess. Um, and uh, no, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely one uh, that's going to stay in your mind. Uh, now, moving on to brighter uh, things, uh, we move on to my favorite question, and that is uh, what's your favorite cover? Well, there's this uh, cover for the series Backstreet Abortion, which my, uh, I'll, uh, I'll move off of uh, that subject <laughs> now. Um, I, I was thinking of it because I really love any covers by Brian Bolland. I've spent so much money on omnibus editions that he's done the front cover for, which are beautiful. And I love like all the, the covers to Scout by Jock. But I kind of was left with two that I was trying to choose between for this in terms of like those other ones are kind of collections of covers from like, yeah, I love the covers to that series, but I didn't have like one that's like my favorite. But um, the one I was thinking of was either going to be Hellblazer number 83, which is a Glenn Fabry beautiful cover of John kind of half looking at you. I don't know if you know that cover. Mm. yeah i've got it in front of me right now yeah which I'm very just, detailed <laughs> yeah and I, I just think it sums up john constantine so much in that like he's kind of magnetic and almost attractive but you can kind of see the evil seeping out of him like there's just something like hugely unsettling because mm. it's like it's almost photorealistic but glenn's slightly exaggerated parts of it which just give it a really unsettling quality and that's always really stuck with me. And I, I mean, I love all Glenn Fabry's work generally, but I think the comic that 
when I think of just covers that really nail what I like to try and achieve when I work with an artist on coming up with a cover for something we're doing, it's probably New X-Men number 127 by Frank Quitely, which is it's this awesome cover of Zorn, if you remember him, the kind of metal helmet-wearing guy who, again, spoilers, turns out to be Magneto, and then more spoilers, doesn't turn out to be Magneto. And I don't know if he exists or anything anymore. But at this point, he was just Zorn, a new character, and he's kind of hovering cross-legged with a hamburger in front of him and kind of looking straight at you. But then it's all like white space around him. I really like that use of negative space in a cover. And it's got that beautiful, like, Frank Quitely detail. And I just remember seeing that when I was quite young, just being immediately really, really interested as to who the hell this kind of strange-looking character that I'd never seen before was, which I think is is a really important part of a cover. Oh, totally, man! It's it's screaming for questions, basically, isn't it? Um, this guy and uh, the the use of shadow. I'm just noticing just now, actually, on um, on him is really good. Like on yeah. the underside of his legs and kind of on his on his left side. Um, just again, like being able to use just black like that, but also at the same time, you're able to show the depth of of the drawing. I, I just think it's it's incredible when artists are able to do that. Oh yeah, no, I think he's quite good at drawing old old Frank Quietly. I think he's got a got a future in the business. Oh, he's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, also, doubt. no doubt. Absolutely. This isn't a question that you've got on there, but um, he's just one of the nicest guys. I met him at MCM a year or so ago. Uh, and just, yeah, just the nicest guy. Uh, Frank Quietly, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Frank Quietly, yeah. He's, um, yeah. He t- oh, I caught him just awesome. before he was going to do some signings and he was just kind of stood around at the BHP um, stall and he took like 10, 15 minutes to chat with me and had a photo and stuff. Um, and yeah, he's one of my favourite artists ever. So nice when you meet someone and find that they're, they're also a really cool guy. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, uh, I met Charlie Adlard um a couple of years ago at um thought bubble um and yeah kind of similar experience where i had like a 10 minute chat with him and he was just such a cool dude um and was happy i I gave him a copy of of one of my comics milford green um just as kind of like uh thanks for inspiring me (laughs) as part of my my own comics creation journey um and uh yeah man just a really good guy and it's just amazing that these these um these artists are so big and uh prolific and things but you know just really down-to-earth people at the end of the day really yeah i think it's a nice thing with the comics community apart from the the odd exception and i guess <laughs> we're seeing some other exceptions recently but like are we kind of admire these people so much yeah. and if you're into comics it's so important and you think of them as like superstars, but I guess in the grand scheme of like celebrity, you know, they're not getting the same treatment as a Brad Pitt or whoever kind of walking down the street. So they do tend to be much more approachable and friendly people. Like I just, uh, I somehow got a bit friendly actually with Glenn Fabry. I went over to visit him and his fiance over in the Isle of Wight a few weeks ago. 
and yeah, just had an awesome Great. afternoon getting drunk with Glenn Fabry and him telling me various stories about why he <laughs> hates Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck. <laughs> As you do, that's amazing. What an experience. <laughs> That's great, man. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our uh, next question and, and back to your empty bowl of baked beans, you ask yourself, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Yeah, I, I had to think about this one for quite a while to kind of really nail down, I guess, what meaningful means when when looking at all the different stuff that I've read and that like, you've got favourites and ones that inspired you. But I think probably most meaningful would be Ultimate Spider-Man, but again, by, by Michael Bendis and uh, Mark Bagley and a few other artists, just in that it was the first real kind of long-form series that I properly kind of grasped onto and started reading it pretty much straight away when I started reading comics and then was reading it for years and years and years after that as it went for such a long time. And so, yeah, I guess when I kind of track the comic I've probably spent the most time with and been reading for the longest period of my kind of really serious comic reading life, and if you call it serious comic reading life, it makes it sound kind of grand, but since reading <laughs> stuff like all the time, uh, yeah, it would probably be that. And I just think um, it's just a really strong st- series that if you're someone that wants to write comics, I think you can do a lot worse than learning a lot of the kind of world and character building and balancing of action and drama and emotion that happens in in that book. And also it is something that kids and adults can enjoy. So I think obviously you think of comics and originally like kids, but more and more it's more adults than kids reading it. So I think it's quite impressive these days to put together a comic that both like a 10-year-old and a 30-year-old can both really enjoy. Yeah, man, it's it's great when you have a a comic that can yeah be read across ages um, and be enjoyed on you know different levels and things. Um, but uh, what 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 age were you when you first read that? Um, must have been around twelve, twelve or thirteen, I guess. Yeah, I think it was at around. Oh wow, so like it's still it was pretty 30, early. Or yeah, thirty or something. When uh when I first started kind of picking it up and I managed to go back and get like the old issues and um yes yeah, so I guess it kind of a good twenty odd years ago. Awesome man! And how, how many have you? How many times have you reread that? Um, I think I've probably only read it through twice, just because it's. It's massive. So, you know, you go into all the Mars Morales stuff, which is also really you know, beautifully done and really good, uh, entertaining stuff. And so, yeah, it's quite the undertaking to kind of read it all again. But I've definitely kind of grabbed particular parts of it and reread them quite a few times. Um, yeah, especially if I guess I'm working on something that, that needs that kind of youthful exuberance. Like when I was writing the the script with the kids kind of fighting the monster. There's a lot of the interaction between the characters that has some similarities to how the, the younger characters all interact in Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, man. 
Um, no, that's really cool. Um, and uh, moving on to our next question, uh, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? Um, I think it can be a bit difficult to know what's underrated, I guess, in terms of like the the world I live in. I see more about all of the Kickstarter stuff and what people kind of in our independent community are doing than what actual people out in the streets are really enjoying and buying. But there are a couple like Lazarus mm. by um, Greg Rucker and Michael Lark and Jupiter's Legacy I really like by Mark Miller and Frank Quietly. I think some of Mark Miller's stuff, because not all of it's great, it can get dismissed a little bit. But I think that one's really good. But when I was thinking of something that I just think is absolutely mm. fantastic that doesn't really get mentioned that much and people probably don't appreciate just how impressive it is, is Lucifer by Mike Carey, like the, the Vertigo run. Cool. And, and, and why is that? Um, so I literally just, I bought the first omnibus collection and was reading it around the time that I was coming up with the answers to all these questions. And that's got like the first half of the series, about 35 issues in it. And it's when you think of like, um, having a comic with Lucifer as the main character, you get a certain kind of idea of how it's going to be, but he makes Lucifer such a nuanced and interesting character. You know, he's not exactly evil, but he also is so focused on what he wants to do that he just doesn't really think about other people and he'll throw pretty much anyone under the bus to kind of get what he wants. But also just the level of um, research I feel must have gone into it, the way that they found all these parts of the Bible and how they could be twisted and used in a like a comic book narrative and that it's about he wants to his his basic thing is that he hates being under the control of someone else and that's someone else pretty much always being god in that when he was one of the angels he's up there and it's you know whatever god wants whatever god says he leads the revolt against god which doesn't work out too well he gets sent down to run hell and although he's kind of got his own domain it's still kind of all at the whim of what god wants him to do so he leaves there and goes off to LA and opens up this piano bar in LA, but he's still like living within God's creation. So he's always like under the thumb of God. So his whole aim is to get this passage to the kind of expanse outside of God's creation to create his own world that's completely free of worship. Uh, and it's just such an interesting idea and very intelligent and mature and you know, you have to really spend the time to kind of appreciate it. It's not something you kind of just pick up and read a couple of issues of for fun. It's a very kind of layered and dense story, but it's also not, it's not like, it's, it still is fun to read. You know, it can, the, the actual individual stories and the way the characters interact move at a really nice kind of almost light pace at times. And I'm working on something at the moment, which is kind of going to need quite a bit of research into um egyptian religion uh, kind of the the egyptian gods and yeah i'm just kind of trying to see if i can steal any um ways of doing things from lucifer really because i think that it's such an elegant way to approach religion but do it in a fictional story nice man um so now yeah that's something that that's a uh, comic that I'm gonna have to check out because I mean I've I've got um, 
uh, a story that requires a lot of historical research as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's always good to see good examples of that. Um, so that's, that's definitely going on my reading pile. Uh, now, uh, we move on to the most difficult question, and that is, what is the best comic of all time? Okay, so the best comic of all time... Um, I guess I guess I kind of viewed this one as like it is one of my favorites, but it doesn't have to be my absolute favorite. But just where I just think the medium is being just used to its absolute maximum, and that would be Born Again by mm-hmm. um, Frank Miller and um, uh, Mazzucchelli. And I just think that both both those Great. guys are just incredible at that time, both operating at the absolute top of their game, and had just delivered like a, a superhero story that I actually only read it for the first time maybe a year ago. So to read something that was 30 odd years old and to still find it so fresh and you couldn't put it down and just to be blown away by it now when it's obviously been ripped off constantly since then by so many different things. I, yeah, I just think in terms of pure comics, just absolutely nailing every panel the atmosphere, the art, and the the writer working together beautifully, uh, born again nails it for me. Awesome, man! Um, and and any other honourable mentions or anything? Um, I think probably my my favourite series, like uh, one of the ones where you actually get a start, middle, and an end, would probably be Why the Last Man, which I just think is yeah an awesome. 60 issue run that's just pretty much perfect for me uh just amazing characters amazing ideas and a really satisfying ending and then probably my favorite like ongoing series ever would be the original vertigo hellblazer which i just think it it stands out kind of in the world of ongoing series that have had different writers and different artists on it in that um john constantine kind of changes and matures because he gets older as it goes on you know it's not like one of those frozen in time type things and to watch a character kind of be by the time you're into the kind of the 200s of issues he's he's carrying so much baggage and it weighs so heavily on him that it just makes him such a interesting lead character for that type of series that I don't really think you get in anything else that I can think of that's awesome man um and on that note um if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be yeah i think i'd probably have to settle on that that vertigo hellblazer run um it's just yeah if i was going to be sat there kind of having to reread one thing over and over again going through that run of comics would uh would probably be my choice i think there's so much to pick apart and and like re-examine as you go through and seeing how stuff from the beginning impacts stuff later on and all the different artists and writers that you get, you know, you've got pretty much every great British writer of the kind of 20 year period it was going have all, um, have all done work on it. So yeah, I think that would probably be my shout for what I'd be carting around. It would also, it's quite long, so it would be quite a good protective wall or something of long boxes once, um, once the mutants start to turn up from the nuclear apocalypse. 
<laughs> no doubt, fantastic. Um, and then alongside uh, that that run of Hellblazer, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you as well? Um, so I already mentioned that my main focus would just be to make sure <coughs> that my uh, my my enemies were suffering in the nuclear apocalypse, and that I was in some way ahead of them. So I'd probably take like a loudspeaker so that I could more successfully goad them from like a a long distance away as they kind of crawled around wailing in their, like with their deformed legs and whatever, kind of dragging themselves around. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, we can definitely make that happen. And uh, Jordan Thomas, thank you so much for sharing your comments for the apocalypse today. It's been a real pleasure. Cool. Thanks very much for having me, Sam. It's, It's been good fun. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely um, and for the listeners one more time where can they find you online uh, so on twitter I am at jordan underscore j underscore thomas and on instagram I'm ampersand 1988 that's the that's the monkey from why the last man um, and yeah I guess on if you want to follow <laughs> me on kickstarter to see different projects that pop up you just search jordan thomas on kickstarter and I should be pretty easy to find and follow there no doubt and folks definitely go check out mug shots which is kickstarting right now because uh, when when does the uh, campaign finish um it finishes on the 10th of october i believe so quite a while left yet and we're into the stretch goals and everything yeah now. a little We've bit got, of time um, uh, russell mark olsen and amazing. ahmed rafat and some other people doing some pinups and stuff to give away to backers once we hit those so yeah i think it's a it's all coming together pretty well. Very tidy. Excellent, Jordan. Um, well, hopefully when uh, we we get back to some sense of normality and Comic-Con's return, um, hopefully our paths will cross at some point then. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. I'm hoping things will get themselves back together by the time of Fort Bubble next year. Uh, fingers crossed (laughs) let's hope so um but uh until then it's been a real pleasure jordan thomas um and uh other than that i'll see you on twitter oh thanks a lot buddy nice to speak to you thanks mate bye thanks again to jordan for being on comics with the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show today please leave a review for us on itunes or whichever podcast service you use as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Jordan's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care. And bye for now.